0: I guess I will start by introducing myself, because I don't want to run out of time and I want you all to be able to answer or ask questions. So I might as well get started a little bit. Um, My name is Shelby, um, Shelby McQuiller. This is my husband and I, and this is our son. Um, He is a peanut butter and jelly monster. Um, And I, I have a Master's of Social Service Administration from Cleveland. Um, from Case Western Reserve University Um, I've been a school-based therapist um, I've also done private practice therapy and currently I'm working as an adjunct professor at Notre Dame University in Cleveland Um, I usually teach intro to psych as well as whatever wild card they send my way usually what other people don't feel like teaching Um, so that is professionally what I do but then in ministry I'm a part of meeting place church Um, so that is a church plant Um, we've been in Cleveland the inner city of Cleveland for 10 years going on 11 Um, and that church plant has two um, nonprofits our main one is the meeting place learning center and at the meeting place learning center I serve as a i um, a team leader. So right now our learning center is actually a learning pod. So students in the CMSD schools, um, CMSD schools have been hybrid, or not hybrid, they just started hybrid, they've been remote. And in the inner city a lot of times there's issues with having a safe parent at home so you can do your work, having access to the internet. Um, there's a lot of internet redlining issues in Cleveland. Um, so students have been coming to our location and we help them complete their work and things like that. Um, I'm also the campus pastor so once our learning pod time frame is over we have students stay for after school time and they get a Bible lesson on Mondays, they have Bible study, so like small groups on Tuesdays, worship Wednesdays on Wednesdays and then on Thursdays they have their prayer time so we do a really extensive um, discipleship with our students. Um, I'm also the social worker for the Learning Center so that could be an enum- innumerable things. So sometimes that is supporting a parent to find the resources that they need whether that's food, housing, etc. And sometimes that is like reporting big problems. Um, so also I work with the students at the Learning Center that have behavior issues and things like, things like that. We come up with creative plans <laughs> um, to help them be successful. Um, my husband and I, he's over here, are MAs. Um, so we're missionary associates under my parents, and we're a part of the intercultural window. So this whole talk is gonna be hard and fast intercultural, like how to reach people who are different from you. Um, we all look different from each other, right? But also, we all have grown up with different experiences. We come from different cultures. um, We come from different socioeconomic statuses, things like that. So it's going to be kind of a crash course. We're going to hit cultural competency a little bit, um, but 45 minutes is not enough time to do cultural competency. There's too many cultures to talk about. Um, And then we're going to talk about what I think are some of the valuable ways to interact with people who are different from you and how to be successful with that. Um, So that is kind of where we're headed. Also, we are very active on social media. So if you are active on social media, hit us up at McQuillers in CLE, perfect, (laughs) (laughs) even easier, just put in McQuillers. I am a professor, so when I was putting this together, I'm like, we need learning objectives. So we, know, we need to know where we're headed and what we're gonna talk about. So by the end of this, my hope would be that you would have a biblical understanding of intercultural ministry. Um, you would understand why intercultural ministry is important and is the future. Um, this is where I think all of our churches are headed. Um, I think gone are the days of having a church that is catering to just one culture. Um, And I want you to be able to define the terms related to cultural competency. Um, Being able to define the terms just makes us all speak the same language. And if you understand what I'm saying and I understand what you're saying, easy peasy. Um, Also, being able to describe a population near you um, that is culturally different from you. So no matter where you live, in your area, there is a culture that's different than you. Um, Even if your neighborhood is predominantly white, within that neighborhood, I guarantee you there's someone that's different than you. And then lastly, hopefully we will learn several ways to start bridging the gaps. Um, In America, specifically, there are a lot of gaps between cultures. There's a lot of things that people struggle to understand about each other, and we have to start building those bridges. Otherwise, it's just gonna be big problems, right? So that's where we're headed. Learning objectives, done. So the Samaritan woman, we all know the story, right? Woman at the well, she's doing all the wrong things, right? Pretty naughty. Um, Jesus rolls in there and he's like, "What's up? Can I get a drink of water?" And she's like, "Whoa, whoa, whoa! Why are you talking to me? You don't know me." Da da da. And he obviously reads her emails, right? <laughs> um, tells her whole story up one side and down the other side, and then tells her where that where she can get living water. And that's ultimately his goal. Jesus' goal in that whole interaction was to give her living water, right? And I think that should be our goal in these intercultural interactions is that we're not just trying to make new friends. We're not just trying to be able to say like, oh, well, I have this major intercultural friend circle. Our true goal is to be able to introduce people to Jesus. And in this interaction, I really feel that Jesus was flipping culture on its head. So not only was he talking to a Samaritan woman who Jewish people weren't supposed to talk to, right? Um, Samaritans were the worst, everyone hates Samaritans, gross, but also she was a woman and in Bible days that was also a major no-no as well, right? So we all know that vibe, Jesus flipped culture, flipped it right on its head. Also, so that was, in that interaction, we see um, racial differences as well as gender. And in this, um, in this Bible verse, we're looking at Jesus eating with um, sinners and tax collectors. So they probably weren't necessarily racially different, but they definitely were coming from different cultures, right? So if Jesus were to stick with the people that everyone thought he should, It would not have been with these people who were sinning and robbing people blind, right? So culturally, they're really different. So here's our crash course. Terms to know. Um, Cultural competency has been kind of a buzzword, especially a lot recently. Um, One of the terms to know is race. So when we're speaking about race, we're generally talking about physical characteristics and a lot of times these are set by government. So if you took the census, you would see the government approved races, right? And if you look at older census, they're different. So the government approved races have changed over time. And if you go way, way back, you'll see some pretty offensive ones. Um, So race is a construct. Truly, it's just by, um, because people are tribal, people love to define and create borders, and that is what we're talking about when we say race. Um, so I feel like it's not—it's oftentimes not a, a very encompassing term. Um, if you want to really know somebody, you want to talk about their ethnicity. So ethnicity um, directly refers to an individual's nationality where they come from, and also the culture that they grew up in. So if you were to meet someone and they are a Japanese person that immigrated to the United States when they were 14, that would be referring more wholly to their ethnicity. And if we were to ask them their race, they would probably say Asian American, which doesn't give you much information, does it? Culture. This is a program of shared rules that govern the behavior of members, a community, or a society. It's also your values, beliefs, and attitudes. So if you grew up in the Midwest, there's pretty there's a kind of a specific culture, right? Do you say hi to people when you pass them walking down the street? Usually, if you know them. Um, do you are you nice to your Walmart cashier? Pretty much. I would say that Midwestern people tend to be a little bit warmer. Um, My husband is from New York. And so when I wave at people on the street or say hi to people I don't know, he gives me the side eye like, (laughs) we don't know them. Um, So (laughs) (laughs) he's He's (laughs) not. So the culture of like the East Coast is really different. And if you've traveled on the East Coast, you're like, man, like, are we mad today or is it like what's the problem so culture is different everywhere right or and also you can bring culture as narrow as like your family culture Um, so when we're talking about culture we can go really broad or really tight socioeconomic status this is a term yes Subcultures within a culture, so that would be people that if we're talking about mainstream American culture, people that would be a part of a subculture would definitely be Amish people. Um, so people that are very different from mainstream popular culture would be a subculture. Would it be a subculture within an Amish culture? Um, if, if you wanted to go that deep you could potentially depending on. How strict the different areas are Um, but you could also say um, that youth culture is kind of a subculture within American culture so young people kind of have their own vibe Um, there's also some like certain music cultures and things like that that you can see within American culture and that's what people are referring to when they talk about subcultures also there are some immigrants and ethnic groups that come over to America and they have like their own pocket and that kind of becomes a subculture. In Cleveland, we have a really like big um, Italian influence and there's like a whole little Italy area and like you go there and they're like old men speaking Italian, like where did I, am I in Italy? Because That's how it feels. Um, But socioeconomic status. um, This is another term that kind of gets thrown around It does not just refer to wealth. Um, A lot of times people feel like it just means um, how much money you make. But this also refers to the power and prestige associated with different social classes. So different things can contribute to this. So if you have a lot of educational attainment, usually there's more honor associated with that. And that gives you a little bit of a boost. Um, Things like race and um, like, Sometimes, even like beauty standards can give you a, like, can dock some of your socioeconomic status and make it be lower. So, it's not just money. Um, Another one disabled people. So, having a disability is a physical or mental condition that limits movement, senses, or activities. So, a disability is anything that impacts your daily life and makes your daily life. Um, you don't have to be immobile to have a disability. Um, and then LGBTQ+, LGBTQ+, LGBTQ is, stands for this long line (laughs) of letters, Um, LGBTQQIP2SAA. (laughs) Um, This stands for Lesbian, Gay, Bisexual. Transgender, questioning, queer, intersex, pansexual, two-spirit, androgynous, and asexual. (laughs) Um, So I bring this up because I think sometimes it's important to talk about things that are happening in our world. um, And sexual minorities are um, a major player in a lot of our communities. Um, I think it's important to have an understanding of what the terms are. And also, like, what those people are going through. Um, because God loves them just like he loves us. But yeah, so, but also, we could talk about this all day long. So, we'll move forward. Um, continuing on with our crash course. So, those are terms to know. Now, let's talk about what are some of the issues that are being faced by people in our world. So, when I talk about intercultural ministry, A lot of what I'm saying is directed towards people who are minorities. So, whether that's a racial minority, a sexual minority, um, even to some degree, women are minorities, disabled people are minorities. So, these are the people that have less access to resources. These are the people that um, find it more difficult to rise up in society. Um, So, an example of this is that black men constitute 13% of the general general population, but 35% of the prison population. So, black men are disproportionately imprisoned. Um, I do have, if you want to look up my stats, you can, I put those in parentheses. Um, also, the Trevor Project um, polled 40,000 LGBTQ plus people between the ages of 13 and 24, and found that 40% of the people polled have seriously Considered suicide, um, and that is a huge number. Trans youth are attempting suicide and completing suicide at outrageous numbers. So it's a huge problem in our society. Um, also, loads of people are poor in Ohio. Loads of people. Um, so that is um, people of low SES cultural minor, or another minority, um, over here. Have you guys heard of the school-to-prison pipeline? Um, so essentially, we're building prisons off of the numbers of people being suspended at our schools. And according to um, the Stop Racial Justice Now, and these stats are coming from. Um most of the schools, and this is a Yale study, but 100% of preschool suspensions are black males. And so that is, that kind of, to me, correlates with this, the fact that black men are disproportionately jailed. So this is a problem, right? Mm. This is a big problem. And (laughs) right now, the only explanation for this is implicit bias, which we're gonna talk about. Also, 61 million adults in the U.S. are living with a disability. Lots and lots of people have a disability. A lot of those disabilities aren't visible, and so we kind of don't think about it. Um, Also, one in three people living with a disability have unmet healthcare needs. So, not only are there a lot of people living with disabilities, there's, there's a lot of those people don't have access to the resources they need. Which is kind of a theme in the minorities that we're looking at, that we're trying to create this intercultural relationship with. Um, people living in under-resourced neighborhoods struggle with access to health, healthy groceries. You guys heard of a of a food desert? Um, in a lot of our under-resourced neighborhoods, there aren't grocery stores. Like, you can't go to Whole Foods, you can't go to Dave's or whatever the local grocery store is. There's corner stores, which usually stock chips and frozen food. Um, some of those areas that is like to the extreme, like Mm -hmm. literally you would have to take a bus for 45 minutes to go to a grocery store, other places there are kind of a grocery store, but it's just, it doesn't stock the healthy food that other neighborhoods have access to. Um, our next point, the, according to the National Urban League, black Americans are affected with COVID-19 at nearly three times the rate of white Americans and black Americans are twice as likely to die from COVID-19. So no matter where you stand on masks and vaccines, this illustrates a problem, right? It illustrates a problem with access, it illustrates a problem with um, our medical system for people being able to get what they need to be healthy. Um, In Cleveland, so that's where I can speak with authority on, In order to get a vaccine, you have to set it up online. But a lot of people that are in poor neighborhoods, they don't have access to computers, they don't have access to Wi-Fi, and our libraries are either shut down or it's by appointment only when these people may or may not have a phone. It's like, I think that our churches could probably bridge some of those gaps, right? That's super, super bridgeable. And lastly, according to the CDC, one in three women have experienced sexual violence. That number is through the roof, in my opinion. And that illustrates a big gap as well, as far as um, educating young people on, like, healthy ways to interact with the opposite sex, which I think our churches could probably bridge that gap. Um, Also, there's a gap with being able to keep women safe. Mm-hmm. And I think our churches could begin be bridging that gap. You wanna say something? Oh no. You messed it up. Back online. Okay. So why so I told you all of those statistics. I gave you the crash course in terms to know So I think you probably know some of the reasons why I think intercultural ministry is really important. But let me tell you some more. Um, In 2020, 59.7% of Americans were considered white. And by 2045, less than 50% of the population will be white. Um, So that is interesting, right? So, and this is going to be due to immigration. As well as an uptick in interracial marriages um, so I really think that our churches need to start reflecting some of these new t- statistics um, the idea of having a one-race church I think is kind of out the window at this point I think we all need to um, start bridging the gap and bringing people that don't look like us to our churches um, And interracial marriage is close to my heart because it's my whole vibe. (laughs) Um, June 12th is um, Loving Day and 1967 was when interracial marriage was made federally legal. So that's not that long ago Um, and I think that's another gap that some of our churches could begin bridging as well, um, embracing interracial couples. Um, There are minority groups in your areas. No matter where you live, no matter um, your influence, there are minority groups there, whether that is poor people. If you've lived in your town for a month, you know the poor area of town, right? Um, If you've lived in your town for a month, you know the whatever minority group side of town. Um, In Cleveland, a lot of the LGBT community lives in Lakewood. Like these are just things that people know and I know that you all know that about where you live. Also don't you think God really likes the melting pot? Have you guys been to like a really like international service and they're praying in Spanish and Swahili and and then like somebody blows a shofar and everyone's like ah! Like God likes that don't you think? Then that is That is what heaven is going to be, and that's why I think that intercultural ministry is really, really important. Also, it gets you out of yourself. Sometimes we get so stuck in our own lives and our own thing that it kind of keeps us from God in a way. Um, But when you seek out people who are different than you, when you get uncomfortable on purpose, um, it draws you closer to God and gives you more of an influence. also it's a win-win um, bringing people that aren't like you to your church gives your church depth gives it <laughs> um, it makes me think of like an orchestra and how it just has like a, a resonance and when you have people that aren't like you at your church that there's that resonance there so here we go from lecture to lab so we're gonna, we're gonna work on a little bit of this I think I'm still doing perfect on time your first job is you have to identify a population. Um, it's really hard to kind of be willy nilly about stuff because you don't know if you don't know where you're going, then you're never going to get there. So first job is you have to identify who you're talking to. Um, so in my case, my specific population that I am after and working for every day is low-income African Americans. That's that's where I live, that's where I minister. Those are the people I el- that, that's my population. Um, but for you, it could be anybody. It could be low income people in your neighborhood. It could be LGBTQ people. It could be people that are living with a disability. So we've, identif- we've identified needs there. Next, you have to get uncomfortable. Um, and that's kind of the worst part. But once you've done it a few times, then it just gets easier. Um, And there's things about living in my neighborhood that still make me uncomfortable. Like when I hear gunshots, it's pretty uncomfortable. Um, The other night, there was dirt bikes going up and down my street, up and down my street. I'm like, if they wake up, my baby, I'm going to freak out. Um, But you got to get uncomfortable. You have to confront implicit bias. Implicit bias refers to the attitudes and stereotypes you associate with a people group that you're unconscious of. And everybody has implicit bias toward lots of different people groups. Um, you may have implicit bias based on like someone's race. Or you might have an implicit bias based on if someone's a sexual minority. Um, and you have to identify that in yourself, which takes a lot of self-reflection, right? And it's kind of uncomfortable because you don't want to admit that like, maybe we kind of don't like this type of person that much, and it makes they make us uncomfortable. But once you've confronted that and worked through it, it makes you a better Christian in the first place, right? And then it makes you able to bridge a gap so that you can love that person despite your implicit bias. Um, implicit bias, I think, is really, really interesting. There's been a lot of studies on it. There's a lot of tests online. So um, throwing that in a Google search is a very entertaining evening (laughs) if you're given to that sort of Googling. Um, Next, you have to become an active listener. A lot of us think that we are great active listeners, but I would argue very few people are good active listeners. Um, I would even argue that very few therapists Are good active listeners Um, because as Americans we are an individualistic culture and when someone's talking we're thinking of the next thing we want to say always always because we're the most important one and that's not our fault it's our culture but we have to actively work against that so that we can bridge a gap with other people so how do you how do we do that stop talking (laughs) you have to stop talking. Um, step one is you, like, literally, you have to stop talking. Step two is you have to make eye contact. Um, once you've identified the people you want to work with, and you have the opportunity to actually sit down and communicate with them, you should be the one to be quiet. And you should be the one making eye contact. Um, you should be the one nodding and giving feedback. Wow, that sounds really hard. Wow, that must, uh, wow, can you tell me more about that? And then you should be asking them questions. So how was it to grow up disabled? Um, what does it feel like to be a trans person in your neighborhood? Um, things like that, like you are investing in them. Also, it's not their responsibility um, to educate you. That's your responsibility. But before we go there, I want to practice this really quick. So if you have a neighbor, someone that you want to practice, pick who is going to be the talker, pick who is going to be the listener, and practice active listening for like 30 seconds. Begin. thank you for playing along. <laughs> <long. We laughs> I'm sorry to cut five you five short, but but yeah, thank you, everyone, for playing along. I think that it is really important to practice being an active listener um if you have the opportunity in your life at your church to just um to practice uh, like investing in people in that way. I do have overachievers. <laughs> you can practice at the end. You can do more practicing at the end. Um <laughs> at the end. <laughs> practice at the end. <laughs> 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 <I'm just laughs> <laughs> But then what I was saying as far as educating yourself. So it's not the person of the minority group's responsibility to educate you. It is your job to educate yourself. Um, There is a plethora of resources. Like we have access to the internet. Um, There are movies. And it depends on your identified population, right? So I can't necessarily give you a resource for every population. Um, But if you're Looking to help people who are low income, I would recommend Bridges Out of Poverty is a really good one, is a good book, good training. Um, and for other ones, you just like hit that Google. Um, but yeah, it's really important to edu- educate yourself. And then it's important to learn the language. So we're not necessarily going to another country, right? We're doing intercultural ministry in the United States. But every culture has a language. I didn't fully um, do, have you guys heard of code switching before? Um, Code switching is the idea of you speak in a way that is the best way to be understood by a certain population. Um, So me speaking to all of you is a little bit different than how I speak to students at the Learning Center. Um, The way I tell Bible stories to them is a little bit different than how I would tell Bible stories to, um, to you guys. Um, when I said, "Um Jesus rolled up to the Samaritan woman, that's a little bit more how I would speak to my Learning Center students. And that involves like switching codes and knowing um, how to how to have people understand you the best, becoming all things to all people, right? Even if that means a little extra work on your part. And then, if this is not just an individual thing, but if this is the heart of your church, um, representative programming, I feel, is really, really important. Um, especially when we're speaking about reaching a racial minority within your community. Um, we're going to switch to this slide for a second. Um, like I said, at our learning center, we do Worship Wednesday. Um, I do not sing, I do not play an instrument, we use YouTube videos. And we sing and dance and we get totally lit. I was very intentional because I wanted to be able to show my students worshipers that look like them. So these two images are from Hillsong Kids, which is totally great. Great songs, lit, not super representative though. This is Watoto Children's Choir from Africa. These are the songs that we use because these, these kids look like my kids. And I think that is important, and something that we need to remember, that a lot of times white culture is popular culture, and nobody sees anything different, but representation truly does matter to people. It's hard to see yourself in a spot if you've never seen anyone that looks like you there. So, For me to tell my kids, you can be a worshiper, but then I put on a bunch of white kids dancing, maybe that's not gonna translate as well to them. And I really do think that is important in a lot of things. Uh, And then the last one here. Yes, I think it's a huge problem. Um, I think that Specifically, if you're working with um, African-American students, it is proven that they learn better and do better when things are exciting and dramatic. And, like, they even do better on tests where the test giver, like, reads the question thematically. Um, But when you try to access curriculum like that, it sometimes doesn't even exist. Um, So for a lot of our stuff, (laughs) I take the regular stuff, and I make it dramatic and exciting. Um, That's why I tell the stories in a dramatic and exciting way. (sighs) Lastly, you need to put people from your identified group in leadership. Obviously, you need to be using discernment. People that are actively living in sin probably aren't a great candidate, right? But, (laughs) but we also need to not box people out. If you are reaching and you're reaching across these cultural boundaries, you're bringing them to your church, they should have a say. They should have a chance to make some of those decisions. Um, You're not the savior, right? Um, So I really think that it's important to put those people in leadership um, and invest in them and make them a part of the decision making process at your church.